0: Welcome to Awards Radar, the podcast—a weekly discussion of the awards races, Hollywood news, and the films you should have on your radar. Here's your host, Joey Magidson. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Awards Radar podcast, where we will be uh, recording, reviewing, reacting, and other things that begin with R, R, R. R. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you all know what I did there. Uh, Miles, you're back.
1: I'm back. Good of you to catch up with me on the RRR train.
0: Yes, 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 all, all three hours. Um, just us, just two of us this week. Um, though, I will say some plans are in place for, uh, I believe, six episodes from now. So about six weeks from now, the uh, 100th episode, which uh, will probably just be an episode. But we'll have uh, a bunch of people on, including some people you might not expect. So it's Steve. No, no, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do a little better than, well, not better than, but additional, addition to Steve. Uh, but yeah, keep that in mind for uh, the uh, end of the summer, basically. So uh, yes, we will be talking more about RRR because I finally saw it, and uh, I believe there's a couple of things Miles is several months late on, so, you know, we both got there. And uh, I'll briefly mention right at the top, my review of Thor 11 Thunder is up. Um, Check that out. We talked a little bit about it last week. We'll talk more about it next week because you'll see it this weekend. Yep. I'm actually
1: seeing it on Thursday. There we go. Mm -hmm. All right.
0: Very good. Um, So I'll (laughs) keep it very brief, Um, just like my reaction to that joke, Um, because the review is up. Just want to kind of direct people there. But uh, it was interesting to see sort of the way people have uh, sort of vacillated on it a little bit while still being very much in the positive. I, w- I thought I was a little more lukewarm than most at the at the outset. And then when I saw it a second time, I liked it quite a bit more. And then I put up my review, and I think my review is positive, but not ex- extraordinarily so. I don't think it's, you know, on the higher end of praise. And yet it's at like a 70, 72% or something on Rotten Tomatoes. So it, there, there was a silent majority that I think is just like, more indifferent to Marvel in general these days. So I think their their days of the like 90% are going to be harder to come by. Well, they
1: need to get another big event movie so far. It's a lot of what, especially with the Disney plus stuff, it's starting to feel increasingly more like content. Whereas yeah. in earlier phases, each individual entry felt like a necessary chapter in a larger mythology. And it's increasingly feeling like regardless of what they're building towards, there's no way that every single one of these threads is going to end up being super relevant.
0: No, though the Feige said recently, I think that once they say what they're doing, it'll make sense. And like, you'll notice where they were building, which could be, you know, just covering, but also could make sense. Um, Not to speak for Steve, but he was at the second screening I went to. And I think that was part of his sort of not indifference to it, but the way it wasn't hitting him in the same way it was hitting some people was that it hasn't, figured out where it wants to go yet at least that we know so yeah there's definitely people who are starting to wish there was i I i'm not not necessarily like the building up to thanos so it doesn't have to be like oh here's kang here's galactus here's whatever thing it just just feels like a lot of disparate like
1: not connected pieces right now and we've had quite a few in a row that just feel like very standalone and not really building towards anything in particular
0: yeah and after the
1: general multiverse stuff yeah,
0: yeah and and there was an initial like thirst for that I think I was just like can we have a couple that just don't always have to mention Thanos and now that we've done that I think people are back to well we'll build to the thing that you guys do so well so we'll see um, what happens there more more on Thor next week. When uh, when Miles has seen it, um, but you you have seen some things that I've talked about, and uh, I believe in at least one case, I my urging that you would like it turned out to be accurate. Yeah,
1: surprisingly so. Well, not not surprising that I would like your recommendation, but definitely one that I did not have high hopes for. That was a very pleasant
0: surprise. You want to you want to you want to start with that one? Or you want to go build to that one?
1: um well i think it's just the two this week so um <laughs> either either order either or um well nah i won't bury the lead so the first one is x um which uh i guess you saw back in did you see it in march or did you see
0: it early i saw it in i i missed the screenings so i went opening weekend up at the the lake house with my ex so that would be the first couple of days of march i think okay or late february
1: yeah, I was lucky that uh, my local theater, which does a very good job of sort of showing more interesting films that generally only get a few weeks play, uh, they bring them back a couple months later for people who miss them. Uh, so actually, both films I'm going to talk about um, I saw as a double feature back on Wednesday of last week. Um, so X was the second one, but I'll start there. Um, I, I, I'm not sure on retrospect why I was so hesitant on this one, because You know, I love a good slasher movie and, uh, you know, a slasher movie that gets in the mid 90s on Rotten Tomato is probably not something that I should (laughs) be agnostic towards. I think it's because while I admire Ty West as a filmmaker, I haven't loved any of his films. House of the Devil is fine, but it's very slow and I don't think the payoff is worth it. The Innkeepers is better, but it's kind of got a lot of the same issues. Um, so I wasn't going into it with a lot of enthusiasm from that perspective. And also, you know, the idea of mixing the porn with slasher on paper wasn't the most ex- exciting thing to me, but in practice, uh, I actually really liked it, uh, to the point where I have to amend what I said last week about the black phone being the best horror film I've seen all year. Cause now it's X, yeah. um, it just, it really hit the mark. It's one of the most well-made slasher movies I think I've seen in years, um, it really captures that '70s grindhouse Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibe, while also feeling very contemporary. Um, taking the time to have like well-written characters who, with actors who like get to kind of sink their teeth into the roles, while still sort of playing on the outskirts of stereotype. It's it's a very interesting balancing act, but it really gets there. The kills are great and very inventive and varied um there's a lot of great tension and suspense they found a great little location it's it's got more on its mind than this kind of thing typically would and i think the execution really benefits as a result of that in both oh, yeah. the literal and filmic sense especially it's a short movie like it does in 90 minutes a lot of character work no i know it's really impressive well and one thing that i didn't pick up on at all from the trailers is that uh, Mia Goth is uh, not only is she playing um, sort of the central you know final girl if you will, but in old lady makeup she's also playing essentially the killer. Yep, and- credits for me when I realized. I, I think I – it was actually – I think I went on IMDb because I knew it was coming to the Guild, and I saw it then. It was like, oh, really?
0: Because I would never have picked up on it from the trailer. But going I think into I the was movie, even vague. That- I think I was even vague in my review. I don't even think I said that she plays the old lady. I think I said, like, she plays two roles, and yeah. when you see it, you'll understand why she's – so good in this
1: movie well and that's the thing because that could have very easily just been a gimmick but the yeah. way the movie pits those two characters against each other as so- these sort of fascinating parallels on you know the dangers of aging and you know that melancholy that comes with not having lived the life you kind of wanted to and yeah. they're both kind of feeling that in very different ends of the spectrum and so the way that that's you know, ultimately ends up motivating a lot of what happens both to them and to the rest of the characters is really kind of fascinating. Um, yeah. everyone's good in it. I like Brittany Snow. I like, uh, Jen Ortega, um, who's definitely having a bit of a it girl moment, uh, this year in horror. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's just, it, it really, it hit all the beats with me. I think it's easily the best Thai West film I've seen. And, uh, it's, it's, it's just satisfying as a horror buff to see this much love and attention uh, paid to something that on the surface could be so schlocky totally and it, and
0: it all of the beats that you expect coming happen but in in either a different order or they're delayed. Everything is done with the idea of we're not trying to talk down to someone who doesn't know horror. We're not trying to like pull the, the wool over the eyes of someone who does know horror. We just know how to make a good one. So we're going to show you um, or tell you about something. I'll be vague, even though I feel like at this point, if you were going to see it, you saw it and we're going to pay it off. We're going to pay it off an hour later after you've stopped thinking about it, as opposed to a lesser film that would have either done it immediately or kept referencing it. And, and yeah, you just, you grow to care about them. So by the time you, you never forget it's a horror film, but by the time you realize like, oh, we're, We've reached the first scene where someone's likely to die. You're, you, there's a little bit of like, oh, okay, it's going to happen. And luckily, it's the person who's sort of like tested your allegiance a little bit in the moment, has shown a different side of themselves, and progressively starts to get to the people that you're like, I wish they wouldn't die.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's just it. It's, it's not like reinventing the wheel when it comes to the slasher stuff, but it's still – it's not taking that stuff for granted either. Like it's taking Mm -hmm. the time to do it well and to build the suspense properly. Like I actually jumped at quite a few of the deaths, which is not something I'm used to doing. I mean, I've seen every Friday the 13th and every saw and all that kind of stuff multiple times. Like this is, you know, very much a pet genre for me. And so to see a modern filmmaker sort of not just go through the motions because even other modern films like that can be really good at this stuff still kind of there can be a certain roteness to the execution and and here it was very much like we're going to take our time and we're going to be deliberate and we're going to make everything very character motivated like i like that you spend as much time with the killers as you do. Like I was expecting them to be like play into, Oh, creepy old lady imagery. And that was going to kind of be I it. Am. But the old lady is a fully fleshed out character with a very interesting and internalized motivation. And oh, yeah. also the film, I'm really glad I sat through the credits because there's a very exciting tease of uh, potentially a new story to come from her. I don't remember, but I know there was something cause I it's six months ago. Almost but Well, it's it's kind of common knowledge now. It's basically a trailer for um a prequel about her, but played yeah, yeah, yeah. as young by Mia Goth, which I guess they shot in secret, like back to back with the original, because um the director uh was um forced to go on a two week lockdown before they started shooting, so he just wrote it and then asked her to stick around and then I guess it's yeah
0: in post-production so (laughs) that's pretty it it is and it's surprisingly i don't know if progressive is, is the right word but the idea of like a female slasher with her motivation in part being sex like that's you don't get that you just that's not a that's not a thing that you especially if you grew up on horror you know this this movie if it had been made in the 70s and was a contemporary movie at that point it wouldn't have been that way it would have been Role it would have been gender swapped for sure, and it would have been a lot meaner spirited, or it just wouldn't have been well done. And and you can you can just look to like the most recent Texas Chainsaw Massacre to see like how not to do something like this.
1: Right, exactly. Well, and it's very it's kind of fascinating because it's. It's very sex positive and like it it touches on the tropes that you expect because so many of those older films are about, you know, oh, young people having promiscuous sex got to punish him for it. But it's it very much comes across that it's the characters doing the punishing, not the movie doing the punishing, which in some of those older films does not come through.
0: Even the uh, the direct the the producer character who is very much on the like fence of being a scuzzy guy in, in the seventies version would be a piece of shit like completely. But in this one is, is kind of like riding that line without being there. But when there's a scene where someone in the, in the production is like, well, I kind of want to be in the movie and their significant other is against it. Instead of just like full on manipulation is kind of just like, well, well she's allowed to make this decision. Like suddenly is, is, is showing like, well he doesn't think poorly of these people and that's a huge difference the fact that these they're like a, they're not a family per se but they do respect what they do and they respect each other for like
1: the yeah. craft that goes into it it's not like and that's what i think is so refreshing and maybe it, because i wasn't expecting that that's part of the reason i was kind of apprehensive cuz you know on paper, you see, oh, they're making a porn, and then they start getting picked off one by one. It's just like, oh, okay, well, it's just those tropes played up to the 11th degree. But it's taking those tropes, and it's sort of investigating them through a contemporary lens in a way that feels very refreshing.
0: Oh, yeah, there's a there's a conservative religious character, but they are exposed to something, and it makes them reconsider their, their feelings there. You have a, a veteran who sees, you know, you, you don't usually see, first of all, a male character looking at porn as a way out. That's, that's an interesting gender swap. Also, the Brittany Snow character is just, I like what I do. You know, the Mia Goth character is, is determined to be a star. Like you see these things that you've seen characters doing these motivations before, but you've never had, or at least you rarely have a film that at least stops at one point to go, well, what about that? is it good? Is it bad? Like we have, we have, we're going to take a moment and, and, and sit with them. Like there's a, there's a scene, it's Brittany Stowe and, uh, and Kit Cuddy, like after one of their scenes get shot and that, that would never be in another movie. And it's so important for investing you in them. It makes you care about their potential fates. You know, there's, there's a, there's a surprisingly high body count for how much
1: you care about these characters. Well, and that's the thing that impressed me so much is that like every single character on both the victim and perpetrator side of things every single one of them is given a certain care and attention to detail they feel fleshed out you feel like uh the writer director is sympathetic towards all of them in one way or another and even if they some of them can be sort of either you know violent or smarmy or sleazy or whatever you, you don't feel like he's judging any of these characters
0: yeah they they generally are people that you you see at least some good in and then when they when they go down there's you know there's there's pathos there even the the killers you know you you understand motivation you, you, they play around with with how innocent or, or guilty they are in other things and it, it even first of all it starts on a nice like texas chainsaw style like opening of like oh shit something bad happened here and it doesn't like feel the need to go too hard in answering that you get it as you watch it um though i do like the the payoff of the preacher that was that was really good that was a nice setup and payoff and it and again
1: it informed the story and it formed multiple characters motivations and i thought that was really well handled but uh, without being too in your face
0: yeah, yeah, I think if it hadn't gone in that direction, it was just like the background noise in the way that, you know, it, it can be done well, but too often is done lazily. Like I like that in Red Rocket, the background, to everything is is Trump to like inform you something about um, about the about Simon Rex or like killing them softly has has the uh, Obama McCain election. as the background. That's a really like, good example. Yeah. Yeah. But those are the kind of, I feel like the exceptions to the rule. It takes a filmmaker like, you know, Andrew Dominic. It takes Chris Burash and, and uh, Sean Baker to to be able to not lean on the, the very base. <laughs> doesn't this tell you something and move on of it all? And then, you know, I don't know that Ty West is on that level, but he's he's got so much talent. And I think that's where, I, you know, I, I like some of his things a little more than you, but I agree you. You always feel like you should love the next thing he does. I, I like, um, was it in the Valley of Violence, the one with Ethan Hawke? I, I did and, not uh, see Chivalta. that one, but I was curious about it. It's all right. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting being like a Western action movie based on like you killed my dog. I'm going to fuck you up, and I respect that. Right on, right on. Yeah. Well, Which yeah. Uh, before when we're going to get to your other movie momentarily, but just keep in mind, Ethan Hawke. I'm just going to say that right now. What about Ethan Hawke? You'll know in a moment. Okay. You can go
1: on to the next movie, but just keep Ethan Hawke in mind. Okay. Uh, Well, keeping Ethan Hawke in mind, uh, the next film is a film that does not have him in it, but that I also really liked. Um, Funny enough, uh, this is the best March episode in July we're going to do, apparently. Um, uh, The next one is The Outfit, which is a Mm -hmm. little gangster drama that uh, also came out back in March. And so it's an interesting double bill with X. Uh, in the sense that both were films that I had heard good things about, but didn't have much in the way of expectations for, and both were films that are currently sitting in my top 10 for the year. So make of that what you will, um, uh, Mark Rylance is phenomenal in it. It's a great little, you know, the whole thing takes place in two rooms basically. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's this little sort of psychological thriller kind of murder mystery situation where it's just about characters being clever and outsmarting each other and it's very well written and the dialogue is very sharp the actors are all like you know Doing really good work with, like, you know, who knows this or who suspects that or are they going to believe this ruse or uh, like there's lots of sort of deception and double dealing and, you know, obscured motivations. And in the center of it all is this great Mark Ryland's performance where, you know, he's not going to physically overpower anyone. He's just got to be clever and he's just got to use his wits to sort of get out of this situation. And It's not perfect. Um, I think you might have even mentioned when you talked about it on the show that there's probably too, too many monologues from him talking about his backstory. It takes Uh,
0: too long to get going. Once you're in, you're in. But it took me a while to get in, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I also probably could have done without the epilogue, as it were, um, which I won't spoil for anyone. But I think you know the scene. The the sort of – probably like it's – one beat too many at the end where it's like, okay, everything we know about the characters is sufficient. We don't really need all this extra stuff. The stuff um, I like the least felt like
0: extrapolating from a play.
1: What like, what very much feels like a play, which is fascinating that it's not based on one yeah. because it easily could be. Oh, yeah.
0: Um, when I spoke, I spoke to the director, Oscar-winning writer, um, and Zoe uh, Deutsch and uh, Dylan O'Brien, I'm like, everyone does good work here. And it, it's another one that so easily could have felt like people playing dress-up. You know, you don't necessarily think <clears throat> of Dylan O'Brien and Zoe Deutsch for this kind of movie. Right. They're very contemporary actors, but they're very good actors. I think Dylan O'Brien is criminally underused a lot. I think he has a presence. I completely a agree. Presence. You know, you, what you can see how when he's not used, it just feels all wrong. And it's not his fault. And same thing with, with Zoe Deutsch. I think she's largely used well. But you also then see her up for like, oh, she might play Batgirl or she might be Catwoman. And and I, I don't – I'm sure she'd be good and like I, I enjoy her. But I don't know that that's where she's best utilized. And apparently, going back to our conversation with her, she's aware of my long-term championing of her here and elsewhere. So I doubt she's listening. But if she is, you know, feel free to tell me if you disagree. But – I do think these kind of roles fit her better or that movie not okay that's coming out that she's in where she seems to be playing like the least likable human being on the planet.
1: Also I'm, with I'm way uh, into Dylan that.
0: O'Brien, right? Yeah, yeah, they they I don't know when it filmed, but she told me about it when we did the interview. She's like I'm very excited for you to see this one. So she's into it. Also, that's directed by Quinn Shepard who's like in her very early 20s and made her debut I think as a teenager directing. Um, she did that movie. I think it was called blame, was a blame. It was um, like it was basically a modern retelling of the crucible. Well, oh. they were actually I saw it at Tribeca like years ago. She wrote it, directed it and starred in it. And um, her now. Fiance, girlfriend, partner, wife, I'm not sure their status was her co-star that she's in the new one as well. Chris Messina was one of the adults in, in the movie and basically the they're doing the crucible as a play while the same things are sort of reflected in the movie it's very dark um kind of like I've proto euphoria i'm going to double check that it's blame but it's proto euphoria essentially um uh, not as graphic but very um very good yeah it's it's blame it's from 2017 <clears throat> yeah she she uh, Tate Donovan's also in it you you'd like it i think it's on netflix you might want to might want to check that out in the uh if you have some time this week. Because <clears throat> I'd be curious what you what you thought
1: of it. Yeah, I mean, I like the sound of that setup. And, well, and Zoe Deutsch, like, I've, I've heard you champion her before. I, I must confess, I kind of only know her as the ditzy blonde from Zombieland 2. But That's that fair. said, I think she stole that movie. Like, she was hysterical. And so it was really great to see this other, more cunning side of her in uh, in the outfit. Yeah, uh, yeah, you- and I, I agree about Dylan O'Brien, too. I think he's, you know... Not necessarily who you would think for that character, but when given room to play and room to breathe, he acquits
0: himself very well. I, um, yeah, no, there's several Zoe Deutsch roles that I think you would like. I think she's one of those just slept on on actresses. By the way, Blame is not on Netflix. That's a, that was, I believe, a Japanese movie, but Blame is on Pluto TV, Peacock, Tubi, Voodoo, and Amazon Prime, all apparently free. So, okay, right on. Have at that. Um, yeah, no, you would like, um, there's a movie called flower that she's in where she's like a bad girl, as it were. It's, um, it's maybe a, a bit too like pleased with itself for you, for you, um, but is very good. Um, I think she's great and everybody wants some, it's not a, a, a showy role, but I like that sort of detour the movie makes with her and, um, to Jenner, right? This I, I never saw guy, Blake it. Jenner. Oh, you I'd be curious what you thought of that movie also. Um and then like I, you know, set it up is is a Netflix romantic comedy, but like she and Glenn Powell have so much charisma and so much chemistry that you're just like, I'm in. And then Buffaloed from a couple of years from two years ago.
1: Well, from, I remember with, you talking from... about Buffaloed.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I am I'm, I'm a big fan of hers. And I think uh on the outset, honestly, I think that was the reason that I was curious about this movie. That and Mark Rylance's Kind of under the radar, like top five actor working currently, um, and and they're all they're all very good. It's a talker; it's almost all talk.
1: But. Oh yeah, it's very dialogue driven, but what dialogue? And it's like surprisingly yeah, funny at times.
0: Yeah, there's a he, especially um, Mark Rylance, He kind of has a, a he's not always one step ahead, I would say, but he's at least on the level with whatever's going on. So he has a. A dry wit to like oh, shit more of this. Like mm-hmm. he's trying to be done with this while knowing he's kind of he kind of knows where this is going and is yeah. trying to avoid that the whole time because it's just
1: not going to be good for anyone. You know, well, he's he, like an he's hour forty five. He's also got an amazing poker face. Like yes. you can see that like the gears are turning in his head, but you can also see him like not letting anyone else in the room know what he's thinking. It's why I, I'm glad
0: he doesn't do he doesn't work more. Because I feel like he would be bored, and I think that face would turn into the "I'm bored, oh shit," like, you know, not the heights of the Bruce Willis. Like, why am I in this? Before you know, we now know it kind of became like, I don't know that I'm in this. But you know, the actor who's just like, yeah, I cashed the check and I already spent that money, and now six months later I have to go do this shitty movie. I think Mark Rylands would just look miserable and would feel like held hostage. So I like that. He waits for this. And this is not a big movie. This is a $4 million movie. It's an hour and 45 minutes with like an hour and 40 worth of talking. But, you know, is below the line part of the thing. Like, Graham Moore is a a pretty solid writer, pretty solid filmmaker. The editor is William Goldenberg. The score is Desplat. The cinematography is Dick Poop. I know what I said. You know, this is is not the movie you would expect to have that kind of below-the-line talent. But it's, I think, part of why the movie isn't like an hour and 45 minute slog, and it could have been
1: yeah and i think that that wouldn't have done it any favors
0: yeah no it would not have it would not have worked if it was slightly more generic or didn't have the cast that it did
1: well and i think it's one that just a lot of people don't even know about like i don't think i ever saw a trailer for it before um it came to guild um it just it just kind of got slept on and i think it's definitely one now that i'm sure it's be- available on VOD and probably becoming more available in other places. It's definitely one that I would say people should check out.
0: Yeah. I mean, it opened, uh, yeah, it opened eighth, made a million and a half bucks, which not nothing, but yeah, I, I don't know that there was much of a, a push to get it, uh, to too many people. So, you know, that's where it is. Um, but I'm glad you liked it. Right. More glad that you liked the other one, but glad that both of them worked. Um, and now, you know, apropos of nothing, I did mention to keep Ethan Hawke in your mind. And uh, there's a cine- cinephile showdown, a film Hawke off, sorry, about Ethan Hawke film. So, you know, you know just
1: because he's been having a year or.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I, yeah, sure, I guess.
1: Because <laughs> um, well, I feel but... like all his big movies have come and gone now, right? For this year, at least. Uh, I mean, he might have another thing coming out. Let's see.
0: Uh, I don't know. Northman, Blackphone, and Moon Knight. Yeah, Moon Knight's not included here, but you're right. Um, I suspect he might have one more thing in the can. I'm looking it up right now. Um, But I don't think Ryan was – and thank you, Ryan – was planning that out. I think it was more because we were recently talking about the Blackphone. Sure. Um, He has – a couple of he well he's in Knives Out too. Oh sure yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and he has a couple other movies that he has done. Now are the now before we do them now I'm just curious what is Raymond and Ray? I have Rain not heard Ray of that one. Is Rodrigo Garcia not my favorite? Um, two half brothers who reunite at the funeral of their father. Ethan Hawke and Ewan McGregor. I mean that's better. Oh okay, we'll see. Um, Can't say that uh, Rodrigo Garcia is my favorite filmmaker in the world, but what would I know that he's done? Uh, Well, he did four good days, the the movie that got that bizarre uh, song nomination. Um, Last days in the desert, Albert Nobbs, Mother and Child. Um, He directed a bunch of TV, Nine Lives, things you can tell just by looking at her. A lot of just things. Kind of how I would describe it. He likes mo- usually uh, women-centered movies, so it's a little interesting that this is his first, I guess, male-centric movie. We'll hmm. see. And yeah. then tonight at noon is Michael Almereda. Again, could go either way, but I know he and um, Ethan Hawke are close. I guess because I think he's been in all of his movies. Yeah, but he I is not say so. the star. This is um, Chiwetel Ejiofor is the star. A couple trying to work out their differences. The wife has memories of a former flame. Maybe that's Ethan Hawke. No. Um, maybe. And then Chubatello is a writer. And he has a story in his mind. And that's when everything starts shifting back and forth from reality to Lee's imagination. Sounds like another like vaguely high-concept movie. Based okay. on a Jonathan uh, Lethem novel. So, we'll see. In the meantime... Film Hawk face off, Dead Poet Society or Reality Bites? Um, Reality Bites
1: of the two is probably a bit more Ethan Hawke centric, but Dead Poet Society is just such a classic. I can't justify not choosing it.
2: Totally,
0: um, same. Um, Dead Poet Society is a is a better film. Reality Bites is one of those ones I always think I'm gonna love the next time I watch it, and I always kind of just like it. I think it, I think part of it is if you didn't see it upon release, you know, it gets lumped in with those nineties, like cool indie movies. And it's just a little safer than the other, than the rest of them. Yeah. Well, you and know, it is you, very of its time, which makes it very to go, come back to. Yeah. yeah. But if you're going to, you know, if it's on the same list and I'm, I'm just guessing now, but if I saw it on the same list as like a link ladder film and clerks, you know, and, and maybe even Pulp Fiction, like if that's the the same breath that it's being mentioned in, you watch that one and you go, okay. Whereas the other ones have the potential to blow you away.
1: Yeah, it, does, it doesn't quite live up to its peers in that regard.
0: Yeah, in the same way that um, Empire Records does the same thing for me. Yeah. When I'm just like, I want to like this more. Um, speaking of Link Ladder, Before Sunrise or Before Sunset? I know you got me that box set but I haven't watched them yet.
1: <laughs> well, you've got homework. <laughs> they're they're in um, Florida. I haven't ha- I like there's no media player here yet. So once I'm in my new house it's first item on the agenda.
0: Fair enough. Um, I will say sunset. I do think they've actually gotten better each time out because there's something about the the pathos of age that these characters bring. That in after the first one you're excited to see them again and then you're you just you become more and more excited to check in on them in a way that i think the like up series never really did for me uh granted they're trying to do different things but it's sort of the same goal sure
1: uh get Gattaca- uh, real quick on those just because i haven't seen any in that trilogy but it has all they have always been ones that are on my radar because i haven't had the experience of sort of waiting years in between i'll when I do watch them, I'm sure I'll end up watching them more or less back-to-back. Do you think that'll still have the same, I guess, sort of impact? Because there isn't that sort of time gap between entries?
0: It depends. I mean, I think it depends on how much you like the first one. I think if you love the first one and you're excited to dive into the second one, you'll just be excited to see where they are. Um, probably wouldn't hurt to take a day or two off between them, if possible. Rather you know, than binging them, them? Yeah, I, I mean... I'm not sure what it would be like to binge them, especially if you've never seen it. Um, I think if you've seen it, binging it is a really cool idea because so much of each movie is about, well, I mean, especially the sequels, what has happened in between. Right. Um, and if you're, and, and and the timing and like Before Midnight kind of being like a secret film in a way, like there's there's something to be said for, for that. You know, you're, you're never going to have the, the initial like before sunset, they made a sequel. Oh, they're gonna ruin that movie! And then you go, wait, they made a better movie. Holy shit! Uh, but you, I don't know. I think I think also I think if you don't love the first one, go directly into the second one because that, it, it is still a a talky '90s Richard Linklater movie. You know, it's it's a it's I don't want to call it mumblecore. But, like, he was always vaguely adjacent to that. You know, he liked, I think, the idea of just put a camera on people while they talk. He does a little bit more with that. But, you, I mean, you kind of know the gimmick. It's basically oh, a yeah, no, I'm, conversation. Oh, yeah. No, I'm very now. aware, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, they're, they're all similar in that, but they progressively evolve because of the evolution of the characters. So, I think if you're let down at all by the first one, giving them a second chance will pay dividends. Fair enough. That Well, yeah. then, yeah, I guess I'll
1: play it by ear based on how the first one goes. Gotcha. Um, next
0: up, Gattaca or Training Day?
1: Uh, Training Day is good, and he's good in it, but Gattaca might be one of my favorite movies he's ever done. Uh, that's mm. one I go back to quite often, and I'm just a huge, huge fan of it. And it kind of bums me out that uh, – is it Andrew Nichol, the director – yeah. it kind of bums me out that he's never made anything even close to as good since then. Um,
0: has he made anything? Let's see. Let's well, he did in second.
1: time, which had an interesting concept, yeah, but was kind of a nothing not, movie.
0: I, I I feel like that had to have gotten like screwed with.
1: It must have done because um, it's got a good cast, and again, I like that concept, but it just never comes
0: together. I mean, I like I, I I interviewed him for I believe Good Kill. He also works with Nicolas Cage. I mean, with um Ethan Hawke again and again. I thought of Nicolas Cage of *The Lord of War*, where he also works with Ethan Hawke.
1: Yeah, that um, one's not terrible, but it's not Gattaca
0: good. I think *Lord of War* is my favorite of his. Um, he he notably made Simone, uh, well, which is not good. But again, you can't win fuck over premise. <laughs> um, he's, of a premise. actually has a bit a ahead
1: a, of its time premise.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's
1: a that movie. I think you make that movie now and you sort of lean into the idea of like de-aging and bringing actors back from the dead and stuff. There's definitely yeah. something there.
0: I, I, I'm, I'm curious what he was allowed to do. Also, it was a, it was a relatively inexpensive movie given the amount of CGI that probably got used. Um, also Ed Lockman shot that movie. Huh. music by Carter Burwell. It's a Todd Haynes. It's a Todd Haynes movie by accident. There you go. go figure. Um, he did a story draft of The Terminal, a movie only I seem to like. Oh, I like The Terminal. I'm glad. I, I showed it to my ex and I, I think she was like, I get why people don't like this, but I think it was adorable. Now, the I'm Terminal is like, no, an odd one for me
1: because I remember seeing it like when it came out and really liking it. And it wasn't until years later that I sort of realized that like the public perception is that this movie sucks. And I've never understood yeah.
0: why, because I think it's just I- fun and sweet and not trying to be anything that it isn't. Totally. I I adored it when I saw it. I saw it in theaters with my grandfather back in, you know, he was a movie projectionist. So we would go like, I don't remember what the day was, what, Wednesday or Thursday or Tuesday. There was a day of the week where he was like, nobody shows, it's fine, we'll just go. And I would go for free. Movies didn't cost money. Somehow I've managed to sustain that in my life. This is all means to just save money. Um, But I remember I was in high school when they came out and I went to, um, I did this thing called the school leadership team. You know, there was like a monthly meeting where like the principal and like parents from the PTA and certain teachers were on and they needed two students and they paid you $300. And when you're in high school and don't have a job, I was like, wait, you guys are going to buy me an Xbox? Yeah, I'll do this. So I did that once a month. And I remember at one point we were interviewing people for the athletic director position or something or other. And the terminal came up and I was like, oh, I love that as another teacher, like, this lovely older guy who I, one of my favorite like history teachers like, yeah, that movie sucked. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, <laughs> oh no. And yeah, it was only later on when I realized like most people found it grating and, and not good. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm delighted by it. I mean, I'm sure my, my ex didn't love that. I, I did the voice for the rest of the night. <laughs> it's hard not to, you know, you walk around. Um, it's a very easy voice. When, if you ever see Elvis, there's a tiny bit of that in, in his uh, Colonel Sanders. Well, I hear, I know it's I hear one of his cl-
1: Cloud Atlas characters more than anything when I see the trailer.
0: Yeah, when he does voices, he does voices. He, uh, he does go big. Um, other Andrew Nichol films, Lord of War, In Time, uh, The Host, the not good one.
1: Oh, yeah, I forgot he did that. Yeah, that's not a good credit on your resume. <laughs> I,
0: I think Good Kill is actually not bad. I don't even think Um, I know what that one is. Um, Ethan Hawke is a drone pilot. Oh no, I do.
1: I wanted to see it when it came out, and I and I think I completely forgot that it existed after the fact.
0: It's totally fine. It's you know like he's a drone pilot in like Nevada or something, but he's you know blowing shit up in the Middle East, and it's taking a toll on him. It's it's very much for a movie that came out in 2014. It really feels like a like that first wave of Iraq movies where they were all. Okay. But
1: well, they didn't all it come were out like, like just a year or two on either side of uh, Eye in the Sky. Like there was that. Eye in the Sky
0: period. came second. and Second. Eye in the yeah. Sky's better. Eye in the Sky's better.
1: Well, yeah, but there was like that period where there was like two or three drone movies in a row kind of thing. Totally.
0: When everyone was like, what if Obama's bad? And God, did we take the wrong lesson out of that? Mm. Um, and then he made a movie called Anon, which I do not know. With Clive Owen, Amanda Seafrey, Colm Fior. What is this movie? <laughs> I remember hearing about it, but I couldn't tell you a single thing about it. Yeah, when I don't know it, it's not good. It's another like vaguely sci-fi movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'll go Training Day, though. <laughs> All this to be said. Um, I think it's interesting. I, I, Gattuck is fine. I need to rewatch it. Um, Training Day is interesting because it's David Ayer writing it before we knew that David Ayer like loves this kind of story and will make it until he dies um, to largely diminishing returns. Though I do like, um, was it Harsh Times, the one with Christian yeah, Bale basically like, yeah, in Training Day? Right. Uh, that felt like, what if Antoine Fuqua wasn't making a mainstream movie and I made this movie? Yeah, I, then I he think made that. Training Day
1: might still be one of Fuqua's best movies, if not his best. I think it
0: is because I don't, I don't love Antoine Fuqua, and I and I love, I love that he is an A-list filmmaker, but I feel like he's just a really good workman filmmaker. Well, that's like I don't thing. really get the I think, style.
1: I think Training Day is the closest his uh, one of his films has come to having a personality, and maybe that's more the David Ayer of it all. It's hard to say, but yeah.
0: a lot of his other films, especially more recently, feel very work for hire. I think he he I'm sure he gets the movie in on time, and people like working. Him. I mean, Denzel likes working with him. That definitely counts for something. Yeah, um, you know, like Southpaw, he got Jake Gyllenhaal. Like Jake Gyllenhaal produces the movies he's in at this point, so he wants to make these things. So like. I'm sure he's a great guy to deal with, and that, you know, don't discount that in Hollywood. And he seems to be able to take a fair amount of money and, and, and work well with it. But there's a reason why, like, when you remember when they were looking at, like, who's going to direct Black Panther? And everyone assumed it would be Spike Lee until you realize, like, Spike Lee's not the man to make this movie. Like, no. he would even tell you, you know. I'm, Spike Lee, what I'm sure say like, I'll make it because I don't want someone else to fuck it up. But honestly, I might fuck it up. But at least I'll be the one fucking it up. You know, Here, and like, here's I think... the thing.
1: I would... Absolutely love to see a Spike Lee Black Panther movie that wasn't connected to the MCU and just yes. let him run wild and make it his own. I think that would be fascinating. But there's not he really would- any set of circumstances now or in the future, honestly, anytime after like the 90s where that was realistically going to happen.
0: No, he needs to be able to do a Spike Lee joint. Exactly. And when it's not, they're largely bad. I mean, look at Yeah. what well, um, his
1: work for higher stuff is always pretty consistently the worst stuff in his career.
0: I I I always want to, you know, I didn't get a chance to do like an interview or anything when he was making his um when he's doing the uh, five bloods, but I and I never would bring it up cuz I'm not that guy, but I would love like to be able to just have a conversation off the record with him cuz I almost feel like with like you know the one I'm thinking of, the absolute nadir of You're talking about about old boy? Exactly. I I, kind of feel like Like, you'd get him to be like, I did it on purpose. Possibly the least necessary movie ever made. And it feels like he was like, I don't want them to make this movie, but they're going to pay someone a lot of money. What if I just took the money and made a shitty movie? Because they're going to make a shitty movie anyway. Like, it almost feels like that. It's, I mean, it's just
1: frustrating that more of his personality isn't in it. Because that... That pairing of director, if you have to do an old boy remake, which you shouldn't, no, but you shouldn't. if yeah, if if it's gotta happen, he's not the least interesting choice. But there just feels like so little of him in it, and it One yeah, yeah. well, same with like Josh Brolin, not a bad choice on paper, but mm-hmm. he just doesn't have enough room to play. And
0: the <laughs> that's a the hybrid movie. The hybrid stuff works when it's like clearly this is meant to be a mainstream movie, but. You can bring your own personality to it.
1: Well, like, I think uh, you know, like
0: 24th Hour and uh, uh, Inside Man.
1: Inside Man, yeah. Well, that's exactly what I think of when because that's like it's very clearly a Spike Lee film, but it's also
0: a very mainstream film. That that comes to somebody pitching it to him. I think of going, I think you would make this good a good version of this movie, yeah. and we we see something in it of yours, or he sees something in it of himself, as opposed to, you know, we're making Old Boy. You want to you want to crack at it. Uh, Fine. (laughs) Like, not the way you want to go about doing it. Um, But yeah, all this comes from me thinking, like, Fuqua was talked about as a Black Panther director. And that just screams, like, um, Thor the Dark World. You know,
1: like, yeah, yeah, like it was like Ryan Kugler brought so much passion and enthusiasm and like vision to that film. Fuqua, like, you know, I get like, everything you've said about him, like, you know, he is very good at the kind of films that he makes, but that it would have felt very much conveyor belt MCU film as opposed
0: to being kind of a moment in film. Yeah, I mean, because I'm looking at uh, Antoine Fuqua's movies, you got the p- replacement killers. eh, I mean as a as a first movie, not terrible, but nothing to go crazy over. Um Bait, I remember being fair, the Jamie Foxx like action comedy. Train Day is very good. That's sort of like his introduction. Yeah. Tears of the Sun is violent. I remember that. And like I think got very vague Oscar buzz before we realized it was just like an action war movie. Mm-hmm. That's uh was it that's that's Bruce Willis like Will- Navy SEAL. Yeah.
1: That's one of those movies I know I've seen it but I remember abs- I would think I remember the poster more than
0: I remember anything that happened in the movie. Exactly. It feels like largely in- inconsequential. Um his King Arthur's terrible, but I think was taken away from him? There was something going on with
1: Probably. that. Probably. I mean, yeah, there's that's very m- a good example of a movie that just
0: has no personality in it. Yeah, shooters fine. yeah. Well. Eh, I mean, like, there's nothing to that movie. You know, it's, it's, it is what it is. Uh, Brooklyn's finest is okay.
1: Uh, I like Brooklyn's finest, actually. I would probably yeah. put that up there with Training Day in terms of his good stuff. It is. The problem is, it keeps threatening to be great and it just never gets there. I, I don't disagree with that. It's, it's, it's a lot of like potentially great ideas that sort of mix together and end up with something that's just good. Totally.
0: Um, the football scene in that movie shot at my high school on my high school football field. That's oh, part of the reason yeah. I knew about it. Uh, Olympus has fallen. I hate it. I don't think I, I've ever seen it. <laughs> it's that the, the has fallen franchise is awful. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen also that just, of them.
1: I saw White House Down and I hated it. So it's like, let me go see a different, potentially worse White House White White Down House is movie. somehow better.
0: White House uh, Down is fine. White it's House, like
1: well, That's what I heard, that White House Down was better, and I hated White House Down. So I was like, well, I'm never going to give this one a go.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. White House Down is clear, like, Rowan Emmerich taking the wrong lessons from his career, but it hasn't fully turned into his current disasters yet. Um, Olympus' Fallen is cheaper and just, like, grimy. It's just, it's unnecessarily violent in a way. Like, I, listen, I don't care. Like, I like Saul. I'm not squeamish or um, conservative in my views of, like, who should be killed on screen, but, like, the taking of the of the White House, like killing all the Secret Service scene, like just feels like brutalized. Like I felt like miserable watching that scene, and I never recovered from that movie. And then the future, the the following, the was it? Um, London has fallen, and then the one where Gerard was like on the run from the oh, government because um, they think he um angel, angel has, has fallen. fallen? Oh. That one might be the best of a three. I only know them because I see the trailers when they. Come yeah, out. I mean, London has fallen was like. I think especially like like racist America rah rah like it felt really bad. Um, the Equalizer, I, solid. I've heard that's good. I've never seen it. It was solid. That you would like the conclusion because it turns into a saw movie for about three minutes. What? Like Denzel Washington sets a whole bunch of traps in like a Home Depot, I think it is, and they're they're Ooh. surprisingly brutal. Um, I, feel, I feel like because there was that era where all the older actors were getting a
1: crack at doing their own own taken. And I feel like yeah. if any of them are going to do that, Denzel's probably like going to be at the top of the list of the people doing it. Well, sure. Southpaw. It's OK. Again, should be better. Like that should be a, a great Jake Gyllenhaal role. Why? Well, remember, it was getting Oscar buzz when we saw just how ripped
0: he was getting for it. And then it ended totally just and- being fine. Well, that was that was that was the that was the era of Harvey Weinstein. Tells you it's an Oscar contender, so it must be. Mm. Uh, and then you watch it and you go like, I, I guess maybe for him, but like, I don't know. Uh, the Magnificent Seven. I'm on record not liking. You like it a little better than I do. I think it's it's
1: like I've said before. It's a totally fine if you're looking for something to fall asleep to in
0: a hotel room before a flight. <laughs> sure, The Equalizer Two. Okay for an unnecessary sequel, but a definite downgrade um infinite not good yeah did not that go like direct to paramount plus or something like that i think it year? was
1: originally going to be theatrical but then it went straight to paramount plus yeah well it was always like, a good sign it was kind of positioned as like once they did the big rebrand it was kind of
0: one of their big event movies yeah uh and then he did the guilty last year which i liked but has is has nothing to do with him that's solely jake and all. Yeah, Um, because he also notably directed it from like a van outside because of covid like wasn't even on set. And then uh, he directed Emancipation, which we may or may not ever see. Yeah, we'll find out Mm. a great example of this. And then we'll we'll move on to the rest of the face off that Ryan knows this happens is he only produced bullet train. And that feels like a movie he would have directed. And you would have been like, oh, this should be better.
1: Well, yeah, I think David Leach is probably a better fit for the materials, which is why I'm pretty excited for that one. Also, I kind of like that. Isn't David Leach used to be Brad Pitt's stunt double? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Well, it's the same as uh, Chad Stahelski used to be Keanu's stunt double before directing him in John Wick. So I think there's a lot of that going around.
0: Yeah, which it's kind of like a cool like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood thing. Yeah. They're just like... Didn't you make that movie about playing the guy Stunned Double? And now I'm directing you. And I'm sure they had that conversation. They both went, yeah, yeah, we know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. That's not like the first reason we're making this movie. Um, back to Ethan Hawke, though. Yeah, not a lot of Ethan Hawke talk in this. Uh, no. Talk face on uh, I mean, he's in The Magnificent Seven. Yeah. And a lot of there the you. other movies we just mentioned. Totally. Uh, he's also in Before the Devil Knows You're Dead or First Reformed. Oh, my God. Gosh, are you kidding me? He knew what Ryan? he knew what he was doing here.
1: God, okay. First Reformed, I think, might be Ethan Hawke's best performance. It's definitely up there, and it's probably mm-hmm. my favorite Paul Schrader movie. But man, I I really love Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. That yeah. has Ethan Hawke's not necessarily best in show there, but it has what I think is one of the most underrated Philip Seymour Hoffman performances, where he. Like, he makes a lot of empathy for what's an absolutely despicable character. Totally. Um, Gosh. I mean, I like Before the Devil Knows You're Dead probably better as a movie. But in terms of Ethan Hawke, First Reformed is one of his best. So, (sighs) Uh, I think if I were to rewatch one of them now, probably be Before the Devil Knows You're Dead.
0: Fair enough. I I gotta go that way because I don't like First Reformed. Um, I love Ethan Hawke in it, but that movie like bugged me and bummed me out and tested my patience. Um, Probably because it feels so influenced by uh, The Diary of a Country Priest, and I hate that movie. Um, I know Martin Scorsese has lost all respect for me, but can't help it. Before the Devil Knows Your Dead is great. I actually would like to revisit that soon. I loved how like grimy that movie was. It felt like a mission from Grand Theft Auto gone wrong.
1: Well, and it feels like a movie that like a 30 year old filmmaker would make, which is why it's kind of fascinating that
0: it's Sidney Lumet's
1: last movie. Mm -hmm.
0: Which is funny because I think one or two movies before that was find me guilty, which I admittedly like, but is very much an old man movie. Yeah. You know, like what if I got like this hot movie star Vin Diesel action hero and just made him filibuster in a, in a, uh, in a courtroom for two hours. That, was, that actually is an underrated movie, though. The, like, just buffoonery of uh, Vin Diesel being, like, it's my friend. So, um, well, this is going to be an easy one for you. Before Midnight or Boyhood? Well, yep, it has to go to
1: Boyhood by default. Um, but I like him in Boyhood a lot. I think that was a very deserved uh, Oscar nomination. And I, I don't like Boyhood overall as much as I did when I first saw it. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: But you can't fault the sheer filmmaking ambition of it. And I think I think honestly the weakest part of it is the main character, because I think he never quite becomes as interesting as all the people around him. Yeah. Um, but um just, you know, the journey you go on across the film is something that, you know, very few other films can come even close to.
0: Yeah. Some movies are meant to only be seen once. That movie just will never work the same way as it does the first time. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um I remember seeing it and it's like it's two and a half, right, 245 maybe. That's a long movie. And for the first like 2 hours or so, I'm like this is this is solid and like I I like the the gimmick, but I I'm I'm not like married to it. You know, I think Ethan Hawke is really good. I think Patricia Arquette's doing pretty good work. I was a little surprised she just destroyed the Oscar race that year, but no major complaints. Um and yeah, our El- Coltrane is fine. I think is I think um, uh, Linklater's daughter playing the sister is is actually much better. Um yeah. she's she's like a spark plug in that movie. It's kind of that's that's my one like, my ma- main issue with that movie is that and I know what happened that she was just like dad I'm not done I don't want to be in this anymore that she really doesn't show up towards the end. Yeah. But I did I did miss her, but that speaks to when he's getting ready to go to college, I know that like not everyone loves the the last 15, 20 minutes where like he's in college, but when he's getting ready to leave and when he's driving to college, I started to get sad and I realized I wasn't going to see him anymore. And I was like, oh, the movie works like the passage of time, like literally what his mom just went through. I'm now experiencing and, and okay, he is, he has done it. And then yeah. I was like, okay, I think I do love this movie, but I don't think it would ever happen again watching it. I think watching it now, you'd just be like, yeah, I remember feeling that way. You'd be watching it for the feeling that you already had. Yeah. Um, Whereas before midnight, especially once you're invested in their story, feels just like you're holding your breath for the entire time because you just, you want them to be okay. But it, I don't want to say more because you'll see it soon, but it's so good. Sinister or The Purge? Only one of these is good.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, I I like Sinister quite a bit. It might be my second favorite Scott Derrickson film after The Black Phone. Um, Doctor Strange is like it's his film, but it doesn't really feel like his film. It's it's hard to hard to place there. Um, yeah. But Sinister, I like a lot. I like Hawk in it. I think it's very creepy. It's got some of the better. Like horror sound editing, like that's one that always comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. like the Watching way they do the, like, the film reels film and stuff like that. Yeah, like it's
0: the, the one, know, the, the audio in that the, is really effective with the lawnmower.
1: Yeah, that's really good. And yeah, yeah, there's a lot of creepy stuff in it, even when it transitions into kind of dopey, like you know, boogeyman kind of stuff towards the end. It, I think it's still it effective. does fall apart,
0: but it's it, it built up enough goodwill that you're like, okay, it's just dopey now but it's fine yeah Yeah. the purge is not good uh the purge fucking sucks that movie is such a waste
1: of potential that i can't even muster enough interest to watch any of the sequels well unfortunately it's there's 30 seconds of it that's good when ethan Hawke is going on like a mini rampage with a shotgun and then it's like over almost as soon as it's begun and every other moment of that movie is just torture and frustration at the wasted potential can i tell you what's the second best movie in the franchise Oh, well then I'm, yeah, yeah. that's a franchise I've never given any goodwill to after that first one. And I don't really plan to. Yeah.
0: yeah. I I like indifferently watched the first one was like, nope, didn't like it. Went to the second one for whatever reason, the purge anarchy awful. Like the worst one in the franchise. It's just wanton violence without a point. Waste Frank Grillo, like trying to establish him as an action hero. Does a piss poor job. Like, when you build out a world that should always make me more interested and I just was like, no, this is just a world where people act terribly and you don't – there was never anything to say about that one besides literally anarchy and I, and I hated it. The third one, election year, I admit has amazing um, promotional materials because they, they did the red hat and I think they did it right before him or right after. I don't remember. Their timing was impeccable whatever way it was. But they and I think their catchphrase was very close to, you know, you know, the one I'm thinking of that we don't yeah. have to say out loud. Um, so they stumbled into that. And like there was a tiny bit there of like a candidate running to end the purge. But essentially, it's the same movie all over again. So they're going to try to kill her and he has to protect her and, and blah, blah, blah. Terrible. The Then there was the first purge. Well, I'm, I'm not counting the like USA miniseries. I'm sure it was just as bad. Then there was the first purge where they waste Marissa Tomei, hard to do, really hard to do that. Um, Also kind of like absurdly racist. Um, Though I know that's sort of like the the social commentary element of it, that essentially the first purge was an experiment on Staten Island. The filmmakers from Staten Island, so that's part of why it's there, but basically centered on like the black projects in Staten Island. What if we just made crime legal to see if all they got, all of them got killed, and maybe all the white people on Staten would be nice for the rest of the year? Like that's that movie. Ugh, I hate it. Yeah, the um, the Forever Purge is at least a little better because one, they got a different filmmaker. Um, the guy who made all the first three, I think, wrote all of them. He didn't direct the first Purge, um, but it was a younger. Um, filmmaker who had made one movie and i think was just in over his head and kind of just did what he was told it looks a little better than the others but not much this other one does look better and is more about like well the purge is over or there no the purge is back i think as soon as the the new founding fathers is like the the gimmick the their right wing like they just got into power in the next election which is stupid writing like we need more purge so they won the next election Like, we would re elect the people who murder, who have you get murdered. Um, Well, yeah, I mean, you say that, but that doesn't sound. Never mind. It's super timely. too far fetched anymore. Nope. The movie got better all of a sudden. But um, there's these, like, crazies, not indifferent from, like, our January 6th type people, who decide that The Purge never ends and, like, this is our message and we're just going to do it all the time. So at least there was a little something there. Still a wildly mediocre movie. The one really kind of funny thing about it. Not even funny, just like well done, thought out was they have to escape into Mexico for asylum. And I kind of like that. Of like, yeah, yeah, you gotta go get saved by Mexico. Um, but largely an awful franchise. Sinister is good. I always like my story about my my other ex, not my current one, my most recent one from a decade ago. Um, we saw the uh we saw Sinister. She didn't have a problem with horror films. Something about that movie terrified her so much we were not meant to spend the rest of the night together. Like I was going back to my folks to like eat. She's like, no, I'm coming with you. Like I'm not going home <laughs> alone. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't Bagul because I being the lovely caring human being I am put a screen grab of Bagul on the TV and woke her up in the middle of the night. And she just was mad at me. <laughs> Didn't find it scary. So it wasn't that just something about that premise terrified her. And I always remember that as like that movie definitely worked. Yeah. And absolutely. finally, where we've kind of been building the whole time, the Northman or the Black
1: Um. Well, again, and I think Ryan does a really good job with these where you sort of got to piece them out because a lot of the times it's one movie is better, but one movie is better for the performer. Um, and you sort of got to piece out where you sort of land there. I mean, you know, I can just look at my top 10 list and say that the Northman is higher, so... By default of that, I actually think Ethan Hawke is like maybe not best in show, but he's kind of one of the high points in that ensemble. Like he's only in the movie for like 15, 20 minutes or so, but he makes a really strong impression at the beginning. Yes. um, And he's very believable in that role, which I wouldn't have necessarily assumed. Um, he,
0: he was like interested in working with, with Robert Eggers, right? I think that was the thing. Oh, like I'm he- sure. Well, I'm sure that's the case with most of the cast. Some of them were. I think I think I remember reading some of them were like, all right, we'll give it a shot. And some of them were like, yeah, I like this guy. Shit, let's, let's find something. I feel like he had seen The Lighthouse and was like, I would work with this guy. Well, I mean, you can see
1: in the one sort of ritual scene he has with uh, the boy in Willem Dafoe that he's very clearly like giving his all to that style of acting. Totally. Um, um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I like The Black Phone a lot. And I think Hawk is really, really good in it. Um. But I think the Northman is just a bit more ambitious, has a bit more on its mind, and is um, probably one that'll be a bit better remembered uh, going forward in general.
0: Yeah, same for me. It's close. But I think when it comes down to do you want a movie made by Scott Derrickson, do you want one made by Robert Eggers? I probably want to see the Robert Eggers movie. I don't know that I'm going to like it as much, but I'm I'm more open to the possibilities. Whereas I think Robert, uh, I think, well, Robert Eggers takes big swings and like, I mean, I don't love The Lighthouse. I think he's bound to, like, have a huge miss one day. Can also hit, like, a masterpiece. And I think Scott Derrickson is is sort of a more horror-inclined Antoine Fuqua. They're doing a similar that, thing. That's not unfair. Which I, which I don't mean disrespectfully at all. Like, I think Scott Derrickson, we talked about his films last week or the week before, like, has a pretty good track record. But I don't yeah. think is ever trying to destroy the genre you know reconstruct anything isn't trying to do the hardest version of anything he's trying to make a good movie and yeah, most of the time does he's never
1: made a great film but the majority of his films have been good to very good
0: exactly um our other question comes from lady mulroy and says since in the last episode you listed your top 10 of the year so far and it was mentioned everything everywhere all at once has made it to some of your all-time favorite films Maybe a top 10 or top 5 of your favorite movies and why. It's a challenge but could be really fun. Um, Yeah, I guess guess we should. I guess you should update your top 5 slash top 10 now that you've kept adding movies from 20 minutes ago. And that will actually lead us into the other thing we're going to talk about in a moment. Well, absolutely,
1: yeah. I mean, you know, RRR and The Batman are like definitely among my new favorite films. But when I say that, I mean – they're in some nebulous spot in the top 50. I don't know where exactly I would have to like really piece it out because there's just so many fucking movies out there. Um, Everything Everywhere is the one that really like – like I haven't had a experience like that in a theater or just watching a movie in general since uh, my favorite movie, um, which – came out i think like 14 years earlier so yeah Yeah. it's it's something that you know when you know you know um i don't um i could probably do a 10 off the top of my head i have to think about it. if you have one ready go for it while i while i puzzle it out for a second i'm gonna
0: pull up my my old one i i don't tend to mess with this one very often i um I always feel like there's two ways to do these all-time lists. You either are constantly changing it, and that's totally fine, or you kind of make it and that's it. And I and I sort of have leaned to that, not for any good reason whatsoever. I just feel like it's kind of meant to in a way say something about yourself or at least your taste. So, um, like I'm sure I would change this, but here, I'll give you my my top 10 as it says on this website that I have where I listed it. Like, for example, my number 11 is Back to the Future, and my number 10 is Annie Hall. I definitely like Back to the Future more than Annie Hall, but Annie Hall is, I think, a more important film. So there's some degree of, like, at what point do you do this list? So, like, my number 12 was Blazing Saddle, same thing. Right. Um, you know, like, would I, do I get more out of real genius? A movie no one is claiming is high art, but I think is absolutely hilarious. You know, there's, there's all of those things. But, or for example, like, I think the only time I've ever changed a ranking was I believe there were, I used to have Garden State in my top 10 from like the first viewing. And I've, I think everyone shitting on it eventually got made like, fine, I won't put it in my top 10. Even though I, you know, I maintain it's amazing. But it is of a moment. And the way that you say like Reality Bites is of a time, I think Garden State is, is the perfect example of a type of, the best version of a type of movie that was getting made a lot in the years prior and following that film right and just doesn't doesn't it, i don't even say it doesn't work it doesn't hit anymore you know the the that type of movie gets dismissed as like navel gazing i think more so now not yeah. that they're not that they're better or worse they're they're you know in a way that like i think um cha-cha real smooth comes out the year of garden state i think it's feted it even more so than it is now because it it's less out of style I think the same way that some people love the movie because they don't do them quite as much anymore. I think it rubbed up wrongly with some people, somewhat yourself included, because it is like the the writer, director, actor being like, "Oh, aren't I like unique and quirky because of my ever so slight difference in how I see the world?" As right. a film, you know, as opposed to having a bigger thing to say. Um, so yeah, if we if we count all those as one of my top ten, my number nine is Leaving Las Vegas. The movie's amazing. It is also slit your wrist depressing. Um, number eight is Magnolia, which I feel like is probably not far off on your list. Yeah, and probably the no, only. Thank you for reminding me because I nearly left it off. <laughs> I was about to say one of one of only two potential ones we would share. I think um, number seven is Young Frankenstein. Probably why I have Blazing Saddles at number twelve because I don't two Mel Brooks's would be a bit much. Um, my number six is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. My number five is Almost Famous. My number four is The Fountain. Like, how did you not expect that to be there? My number three is Pulp Fiction. My number two is Chasing Amy. My number one is The Shawshank Redemption. I usually will tell people my top five. yeah i think i think my five with you know one or
1: two exceptions one of them obviously being more recent tends to be pretty resolute whereas anything below five is subject to kind of how i'm feeling in the moment i I, will i
0: I will confess one thing that is interesting is um as a as a now once again single man and in the years prior when i was sometimes when people would ask this i'll leave out pulp fiction just because i don't want to get labeled a bro because i'm Mm. i'm not one but i know you know in the same way that like you know, the Wolf of Wall Street. There are people who take the wrong message from that movie. Yeah. And you just don't want to be around those people. I don't want to be necessarily like the overt Tarantino fan, the the stan, if you will, because that's not always a great look. So sometimes I'll I'll throw in I'll bring, I'll bump up Eternal Sunshine. Or I'll I'll throw in a Mel Brooks or something like that. But I would say what I said is pretty much where I'm at though. Okay.
1: All right. Um God, I'm like, I'm putting it together, but then I keep remembering stuff because I've, I've go- played, I've played with it a few times over the years, but then I haven't come back. I haven't probably come back to it since like my number one kind of got. Yeah. Well, no, you know what? The last time I came back to it was when I had to take American Beauty out of the number two slot because See, now it that happens. I can never go back to. I will go back one day. I don't know when it's going to be time yet. I don't know. That's like Game of Thrones. That's one of those things where it just hurts me so much to think about because I had such an emotional investment with it that, like, it would like, I don't know. Just the thought of going back to it makes my skin crawl. What if Spacey died? Would that change anything? I don't think so. I think the damage is done because it's this. It's the subject matter. Because that's true. I can prop like I can do like a seven where he's only in it for like twenty minutes. I can if push came to shove, I might be able to do like a usual suspects or an LA confidential where he's more part of an ensemble, but American beauty is a movie where he's lusting after a teenager. There's no way to sort of sand that down. Yeah. Um, I, uh, and I, and and I, 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 it was a movie that I connected to so profoundly when I saw it, but I just can't now that we know kind of who he is. It just, it colors it in such a way that everything about it is icky. Even the stuff that has nothing to do with him feels icky by association.
0: Yeah. Oh, you think you know me? Uh, no, I'm not gonna. We're not gonna. We're not gonna get into that. Uh, no. I do remember. I do remember it be, not knowing it was a comedy until I saw it and being like, "Wait, this movie's hilarious."
1: Yeah, it's very funny. It's very well written. Very well made. It's, easy it's to such see a why shame Sam Mendes had such a big
0: career after it. Oh yeah, one of Benning's
1: uh... probably best performances.
0: Oh yeah, that that. You know, everyone knew that scene from the trailer of like, I rule and not really knowing the context. And then in context of the scene, it's like, whose car is that? It's mine. Uh, Whichever car. I've always wanted it. And now I have it. I rule. Like, you're just like, you're such, you're you're so delighted by that scene in context. I do wonder if, yeah, you're right now watching it. You might be like, well, fuck you a little bit or a lot of it. Because you're so on his side from so much of that movie. Well, when yeah, and I think that's it. it. It's
1: like the movie works if you like him. And if I don't like him because I know who he is off camera, that does color it.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm curious how I would respond because I, I tend to separate pretty well. But it is a big ask. It's a bigger ask than a lot of other things. Yeah. You know, especially like, you know, it's, the Woody Allens, the Roman Polanskis, they're not on the screen. Also. Well, that's and we've talked about this to
1: yeah. death before. But and at the end of the day, for anyone, it's going to be a case by case basis. We're all going to totally. make certain allowances for some people, and you know, draw lines
0: in the lines in the sand for other people. Oh yeah, because we, you know, if you if you have a hard line, you're you're kind of limited, especially as you get further and further back. We're you know we're learning that behavior. We always knew people were badly behaved, but like you know the heights of it. Are, yeah. are only going to get worse you know you know we you just at a certain point you you have to decide what works for you and what doesn't and and it's it's only matters what you think i i'm i do bristle a little about the people who want no one to see things like that's that's closer to censorship than i prefer yeah but there's well, nothing
1: gatekeepy in a way that doesn't really jive yeah with me either
0: i know what you mean Well oh, yeah i'm 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 of the opinion any opinion you have is valid doesn't have to be fact. I've, I've always gone back to: you can tell me that White Chicks is the best movie ever made, but you can't tell me it won seven Oscars. Like, yeah. I'm I'm here for you to say it's the best movie ever made. I don't agree with you, but I'll listen. God, I'd actually love to hear it. But you can't tell me things I can I can easily disprove. In the same way that like I know in the last couple of weeks, Juno's gotten kind of like a weird reevaluation. There's a lot of people who are like, "Well, this movie is is about is 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 pro life." Um, which I think is a slight misreading of the film, but like you're certainly entitled to feel put off, especially now by almost any movie that Hollywood has ever made involving pregnancy because there's just no way to have the movie unless they have to figure out a way to have them have the child. You know, like Obvious Child is a different example, but it's also a much smaller movie. But I think the, you know, to then state it as fact and then they'd be like, well, you know, Jason Reitman must be this, like, right-wing conservative, and and then extrapolates like, well, his father made the EPA the villain of Ghostbusters. I'm like, you like, this is way out on a limb I think, guys, but, you know we're so far from, yeah, we're so far from your completely valid opinion to have to this, like takedown of an entire family like, that's a it's a strange hill to die on Um, all this to be said, I think you probably have your top ten ready, which is funny because I'm about to assign you another one to do in a little bit So, all right, well, well, no, we're going to do, we're going to do video games next time.
1: Ooh, okay. I might have that more ready to go. Um, okay. Yeah, now I've got it. So, um, I've got five honorable mentions that at various times have been in the top 10 and are now floating nebulously somewhere in the 11 to 15. Uh, at some point I would like to do a longer list, like maybe even cull together like a top hundred or something like that when I have the time to really think about it. Uh, but So, Honorable mentions in no particular order are uh, Jurassic Park, The Matrix, The Fly, The Godfather, and Audition, Mm. uh, which are all films that I absolutely adore for one reason or another. Some of them are among my favorites of their respective genres. They skew a
0: little modern, but they definitely are a wide range of film.
1: Yeah, I think my taste in general does skew... Well, you'll see as we go along. It's I say it skews modern, but really it skews like
0: 90s to early 2000s. I'm looking on my – I think my t- my list might be a top 100. I'm going to tell you – yeah, I have, a, I have a top 100, but I'm a, I'll am t- look up as you do it what my oldest film on the list is. I'm curious for myself yeah. as I now <laughs> called you out.
1: Well, no, but I mean I do have some higher up there that are a little older, but as it goes <laughs> – But anyway, so here's the 10 as I have it right now. may not be how I have it tomorrow, but based on where we are. uh, Number 10, I have Galaxy Quest, which is probably my favorite comedy ever made. Uh, It's a movie that – my biggest problem with comedies of any kind is that the vast majority of them I only enjoy the first time. And once you Mm -hmm. know the jokes, it's just tougher for them to have the same impact. Galaxy yeah. Quest is a movie I cackle through every single time I watch it without fail. Something about the alchemy of that movie and not even being a huge Star Trek fan necessarily, just liking the movie on its own for that cast, for the brilliant script. It just, that one's one that always comes together for me. Mm-hmm. Um, number nine, I have Terminator 2, which is probably my favorite like pure action movie. Um, having grown up in uh uh, on a lot of Schwarzenegger movies, that was always sort of the cream of the crop. It might mm. also be the first R-rated movie I ever saw, which definitely I think had Could an be. influence. How do you feel about narrative podcasts? Narrative podcasts?
0: Yeah, uh, it ties in.
1: Um, I haven't listened to a lot of them. I'm open to the idea, but I, I haven't really dipped in much. There's one called Blockbuster. And Oh, yeah, first... I know that one. I've had it recommended a few times.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first season was – um. Spielberg and um, Georgia Lucas, and was solid. Um, the second season, I'm sure it's like two or three years old, but I, I'm currently listening to now, is James Cameron. Yeah, I think that one in particular
1: people have recommended to me. Yeah,
0: I think you would like it. Okay, I
1: think I think it might I might even have it on my on my to be listened to list if I ever stop listening to the two or three same <laughs> podcasts that I yeah, always yeah. go back to. I mean, um, number eight, I have Punch Drunk Love. Possibly nice. my favorite romantic comedy, give or take. Um, number seven, I have Pulp Fiction. Nice. There we possibly are. one of the coolest movies ever made. For sure. Um, number six, I have Memento. Because nice. I love me a good sort of brain teaser, and that's one of the best. Uh, number five, I have There Will Be Blood, which I mm-hmm. think is just one of the great American epics of all time, and especially since the turn of the century. Uh, and it has probably my single favorite performance in all the film. Um, Number four, I have psycho uh, all time favorite horror film and, you know, Hitchcock's a master, all that good stuff. Uh, Number three, I have dog day afternoon, which I think threads the line between drama and comedy, possibly more successfully than any film I've ever seen. Sure. Uh, Number two, as mentioned, I currently have everything everywhere all at once because that film just really hit me on a deep, profound level, and it's doing so many different things. And the fact that all of them come together so fluidly, despite being so scattershot, it feels so of its time and of this time. And it just – it blows my mind that the amount of imagination and creativity and talent to come up with all these disparate ideas, thread them together through a real source of emotional resonance and family dynamics, I just – I love everything about it. Now on Blu-ray. Now on Blu-ray. I want to get that 4K uh, steelbook thing with all the googly eyes. That looks great. Um, And then number one, and this has been my number one movie of all time since I saw it in theaters back in, I want to say 2008. Um, A movie that has like hit me to the core and speaks to me more than anything I've ever seen. Synecdoche, New York. Uh, It's got- Probably my all-time favorite actor, Philip Seymour Hoffman, giving what could be a career best performance, definitely up there. And just all the things it gets into about life, about fear of aging, about fear of creative impotence, about directing, about acting, about – it has so much to say about life and it does it through this like quirky sort of bizarro lens – uh, it's one that every time I watch it, I find something new to dissect from it. So nice. that's, that's one that I like. The fact that Everything Everywhere came as close as it did is kind of revolutionary for me, but it, w- it would have to be like not just a stone-cold masterpiece, but a stone-cold masterpiece that speaks to me in such a direct and specific way to yeah. even come close to touching Synecdoche. By the way, Saw comes in at 94 for me. Ninety-four. It's pr- it would definitely crack the hundred for me. It might be towards the same area as yours, but it would be in. yeah. My uh
0: my oldest film list is Casablanca from nineteen forty-two. Oh, that's that, in like that would the be in twenty-five 20. range. I would say yeah, that would um, be in my twenty. I think I really like that one. I have the apartment. I have Rear Window. So I have one. Rear Window is my only movie from the fifties. Casablanca is my only movie from the forties. Um. My highest-ranked 60s movie is... Um, there's two. There's The Samurai. My favorite French film. Uh, Not a I guess, but one I'm about to mention is a French film also. Uh, the Battle of Algiers in mm. 66. That movie is um, actually in my top 20, I think? Or top 25. Love that movie. That is maybe the best war movie ever made. Love that movie. Um to get into our final topic, how far off is RRR from your list? I mean, it's one of the
1: most purely entertaining films I've seen in a very long time. Um, I Again, I would have to go through, but I think it's definitely in the 50. Nice. Um,
0: yeah, I finally saw it all three hours and 12 minutes or something like that of it. Um, I quite enjoyed it. It's it's exhausting in a way. Yeah. Um, I I didn't love the melodrama. I like the action quite a bit. I think I'm also I don't want to say getting bored with action, but I think we see so many action movies now that you know, I'm I I can't say what I'm seeing tomorrow just yet. But Miles knows what I'm seeing tomorrow and you know, that's a movie that I think several years ago would have been a huge event as opposed to just like an event. Um the the like Ha- for RR to be as impactful it is, it has to be as big as it is, and I wonder if that's like desensitizing us in a way. Not to make it a bad thing, but I do wonder if it's kind of like the way that like you can watch any type of porn on the internet now, so like people don't just like get turned on by like a Playboy magazine to the point where it basically doesn't exist anymore. Um, that being said, the dancing is an absolute delight. I wish I could do that with suspenders, um, <laughs> and it's just it's it's super likable. It's just it's it aside from the melodrama being a little heavy handed, it's hard not to get swept up in it. I kinda wish in a way that we were all more familiar with everyone involved, because you know, this is this is kind of like watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, if that was a three hour action film. Because it is essentially two of the biggest names in, in Indian film, you know, either one of them should anchor a movie together equal screen time like everything about it is you know the the event of the year for that that part of eastern cinema um, which is its own interesting thing because it's not a bollywood film as no as it's a you know, uh, tollywood right? exactly which is its own sort of um n- not a redheaded stepchild but like the sort of like coming on the heels of bollywood like the the angry young man like kind of like I, I almost feel like maybe like nineties independent cinema, not doing the same thing, but like changing the way like it, it's showing the new kid way on the block in a way exactly. Even though they've been this making is,
1: stuff for years,
0: exactly. And I think and and this film I think is they're like we got one. Like I think we're on we're coming to equal ground. And also um, the filmmaker is essentially like the James Cameron of of that part of the world, like. Isn't well, three I mean, of his films the top five roasting in, in India?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, um, his previous films before
0: this were uh, the
1: two-part Bahubali films, which were the two biggest films in India before yeah. RRR came along. And it's interesting because the title, they eventually, you know, in English, translates to Rise, Roar, Revolt. But originally when the project was announced, it was RRR because it was uniting the director, Rajamuli, uh, and then the actors, Ram Charan and NTR
0: – Exactly. Which, and which means different things was, in different cultures, the title, which I kinda exactly, like Yeah.
1: But like that would be like if an American if like the post was called
0: Streep Hank Spielberg, you know what I mean? <laughs> which it should have been. Like I like I, I do kinda like that they can lean into that. You know, in a way that like you know, like I was saying once by now I would they wouldn't have said DiCaprio Pit Tarantino, they should have. Like nobody they wouldn't have made one dollar less. Um and it, yeah it's 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 great, I definitely think there's something to be said for if you watch it in a theater and you're and you can't do anything else and you're just wrapped up in it, but you know you get wrapped up in the action scenes, you know, watching a man throw a leopard at a cop who then gets body slammed by the cop by the leopard is you know undeniably entertaining um and, well, and I think it's great I
1: think it says something about the sheer charisma of the stars that even if you knew nothing about anything about Indian cinema going into it. Their like charisma and magnetism just vibrates off the screen in such a way that you just have that feeling of if they're not massive stars they should be yeah, yeah. like there's an totally. argument to be made that Ram Charan is one of the most attractive men on the planet
0: <laughs> yeah they're, they're they're definitely and the and the movie's not afraid of that either it, it knows that's the thing the movie definitely knows what it is it knows it's ridiculous um and is leaning into you know here's a beautiful man here's Incredible action! Here's a batshit crazy dance scene. Like it, it, it everything is ten or eleven, and is uh, unafraid of that, which is which is very cool. The only thing I think doesn't work for that is the the villains are like foaming at the mouth evil, and I don't mind that. And also it doesn't mind. like it doesn't the bother easiest you. villains in history to like make be that way. Totally. Um. I mean, I, the only thing I I know you could ding it for, and I'm I'm I don't care. Not that I don't care, but I'm not educated enough to have looked up as I know the the what what follows essentially Indian independence is not particularly like smooth sailing and all sunshine and roses and, and no human rights being violated. So the sort of end sequence song tribute, I'm sure rings a little false if you're more familiar with it, but it, it's not that big a deal. It, it would be like, it's the equivalent of... I hate to use this movie, but let's say the Patriot was really good, right?
1: Well, no, I got got a more recent example. What about Top Gun? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've all accepted that we love Top Gun Maverick. It's a great film. We also know it's shameless propaganda. rah rah patriotism. I I think there's a there's a definite overlap to be had there. Yeah, I think when a movie It's like just a movie works. Patriotism, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think I think the what keeps Maverick from feeling icky is that it feels earnest. Like, it, like, I don't, like, we all, I, I'm sure most people know about the whole, like, when Top Gun came out, like, recruitment to the Air Force went up and the Navy, like, people joined because of that movie. And that doesn't give you the best feeling in the world. Um, and also it was the 80s, you know, you, you have that weird feeling of, like, was this package? And, like, they did cooperate. But this does feel more like, like, what if the things used to be better saying wasn't couched with a ton of racism and hate yeah you know like this is the pure version of like the good old days like when this was the movie everybody went to see and this was the feeling you had at the end of it of that like the military pilot saved the day Um, you know and I think this is I think RRR is doing a similar thing for like you know because the the history of it is all all you know merged and changed and like Cause I don't, I think they, they were both revolutionaries of a similar time. You know, I don't, I don't they, believe they, they were, were,
1: they were both uh, revolutionaries around the same time, but there's no record that they ever met or were friends. Exactly. So
0: it's a, it's a, it's an imagine. it's, it's the one night in Miami of it all.
1: Yeah. Like, well, even you know, less so like one night in Miami, exactly. there's some historical record to suggest that it could have happened here. It's, it's pure. It's taking these two real figures, but everything else about the story is pure fantasy.
0: Exactly. And I think that's, that's where the, 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 the more, um, the dings of it have come in from people who are more familiar with all that. Cause if you care about one of these people deeply, you're mad. I know like the trailer made someone angry because they were implying that one of the characters was Muslim when they weren't or what or is when they weren't or was when they, whatever. I forget the well. well, One of them is like going undercover as Muslim, exactly. But it wasn't presented that way in the trailer, so it made people very angry. Like you know, these are these are these are big historical figures. You know, it's it it is. I I don't know. I don't want to pick out our two people to say you know like what what if Thomas Jefferson was 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 throwing uh, leopards at people? But it's not like super far off. Um, So. You know, the, the fact that it has gotten that passion, even some of the negative passion is a good sign, which means people care about the movie because on the whole, you know, it could have easily been the next big Indian action movie that comes, plays the um, Times Square movie theater in New York, makes a couple bucks, maybe cracks the top 10 and then you don't really hear from again, which is, I think, largely been the fate of, of these movies. They, they play to their audience and then nothing else. And it goes – this actually ties into Everything Everywhere in that I don't particularly know why this one is hit, but it's good that it has. You know, in the same way that, like, we don't – there's no one reason why Everything Everywhere All at once is hit for everyone, but it has, and that's good for film. It's good for cinema. You know, we can't, you know, just have the two weeks of a Marvel film. Um, Top Gun has had amazing staying power, but that's, you know, kind of the exception. So it, you, you need these these more surprising hits, to yeah to like also just get people excited about things I haven't seen before so you know I'm on board I liked it I I even very liked it it's uh it's in my top like 2025 for the year for sure did not crack my top 10 though sorry to say it's all good we all want different
1: things out of movies
0: exactly I I do wonder if I, I I do wonder if I would have liked it even more if I had seen it before the hype or if I would have even potentially liked it less because I would have been like, this is good, but, like, big. And and then been like, wait, everyone loves this? You know, there there's always the two sides to that. Yeah. Um, next week, we will talk more about Thor. Um, I do want to, I do want to, we always end up dovetailing into video games recently, so I want to, like, commit a little time to that. Um, I'm also replaying Grand Theft Auto 5, so I'm just, like, in a video game mood recently. Um, so, yeah, you'll Think of your top five or top 10 video games of all time for next week. And uh, as you sign off, what's the last video game you played? And what's the last video game you loved?
1: Ooh, okay. Uh, well, you can find me at both Twitter and Letterboxd at MilesOnFilm. That's M-Y-L-E-S on film. Please check out my short films, American Exorcist and Once Upon a Dracula. They are both on YouTube under Aftershock Pictures and Chase Capo, respectively. Uh, check out my writing for both Awards Radar and Looper. And ooh, that is a good question. I think probably so. I got a, uh, an Oculus for uh, Christmas that I've been messing around with on and off. Mm,
0: um, I think I have one of I don't know if I have the oculus but i have some sort of three d headset thing that I got as a a swag thing for mm-hmm. the girlfriend experience season three or something very random that i i literally used for that and haven't used since which i mean I should one day also with a shocking display of restraint that I didn't even jokingly look up porn on it <laughs> yeah I guess you could um and it's fun it's
1: i like it better he than says other you VR. could
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> like he <laughs>
1: He says I'm so Mary, sir. Could- I
0: don't need pornography. I mean, I was not single when I got that thing, and I also was not the person who made that suggestion, so... you
1: mm-hmm. know. Speaking of different strokes for different folks... I, um, sh- I like it better than other VR headsets I've used because it's not... You don't have to, like, connect it to anything. It's very just free-floating. Yeah, yeah. You can sit in a chair or stand or however you want to do it. Um... I guess if you want literally the most recent game I've played, uh, I've been playing through – there's a uh, Star Wars game on there called Vader Immortal, which is Mm. basically this sort of – it's like several different episodes where you're just playing as this guy who happens to, like, encounter Darth Vader and, like, this little side mission – like, it's not really connected to any of the movies, but it's just you're some guy who encounters him. But it's really just an excuse for two things. One is to encounter Darth Vader in VR, which – you know, when you got his voice in uh, your ears and he's like walking right up to you, yeah, it kind of makes you feel something. And it kind of sends a shiver down your spine a little bit in a way that, you know, the movies, especially the more recent ones, do with fleeting, you know, um, sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they don't. Hmm. Um But, I mean, on the better side, um, they also have a VR version of Resident Evil 4, which, spoilers for next week, is my favorite game of all time. And it's one that I've played to completion, like, at least a dozen times, if not more. So, to be able to re-experience this game that I'm very intimately familiar with in a kind of whole new way has been really sort of fascinating.
0: Yeah. Um, I think I I got a... um... I think it's a Pico headset, like Pico Interactive or something like that. Okay. Um, same, same principle. It's a headset with a, like a remote. I'm sure it's very much the same thing. Probably does the same job. Um, you can follow me at uh, Joey Magazine, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, all that stuff. Awards radars on several things. Um, the most recent game I'm playing is an old one, Is Grand Theft Auto 5. Um, I loved it i love it again it's just comfort food um the i guess it counts as the last game i loved also um because i had a a run of not liking things recently i have GameFly, so i i trade things in pretty quickly um like i i i like um dying light a couple years ago but dying light 2 was not good um and then i got and sent vampire the masquerade like whatever like New ver- like remake or new version of one of those games from the nineties, and I didn't care for that either. Um, last game I really loved um, probably the Spider-Man game. Ah, oh, that's a great one. That is really I'm, good. I'm in the middle of Miles Morales. I know it's short, so I've been I've been making it last. Um, Before, aside from that, Last of Us Part Two.
1: I actually played that last year. I really really liked that one. Oh, the. That might be I the think. last one. If we're talking new games, I loved as opposed yeah. to like replaying old ones. That's probably it for me because that I played it just before the wet. I finished it just before the wedding, actually, which is nice. kind of funny. Um, um, and yeah, better it, than the first absolutely. one somehow. I think it probably is. Yeah, I know that's maybe controversial because I know it, uh, you know there's a lot of people who really hate it, but I think it's the first people one's amazing. Don't get me fun. wrong; it's a stone cold masterpiece, but the yeah. second one is just. It goes a bit deeper, both on the gameplay and on the narrative side. And I think it's it's a bit more ambitious and a bit more, you know,
0: willing to take some oh, yeah. really big swings. I want to I wanna talk about that next week when we talk about games a little bit. But yeah, that, that game to one, listen, it's a several year old game and it sold like a billion dollars or something. People know to fucking kill Joel pretty early on and be like, just deal with that. But yeah. also then to make the movie about taking vengeance on that person and then midway through like no 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 now you're going to spend most of the rest of the game playing as that person to understand well they why they did it so now when you get to the scene where you can take revenge you're going to feel like absolute dog shit it's yeah. such a choice <laughs> it's such a fucking good choice um great game so yes thor video games or whatever else uh, miles revisits during the week um i mentioned several things to him we'll see if any of it comes to pass until then stay safe. I know like the whole world is getting COVID again and thankfully seemingly mild cases, but you know, try to avoid getting it if you can. Uh, Somehow I still haven't. And now I've jinxed myself, but um, you know, do your thing. And uh, hopefully uh, we will, we will continue to emerge from our dumpster fire that never seems to get put out. Uh, But we'll be back next week as we careen closer and closer to episode number 100. So uh, until then, We will uh, see you at the movies.
1: Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and to visit
0: awardsradar.com for the best in awards and entertainment content.